If you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 4, the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. Wondering how to open this sermon, here's the best I've got. Seeing is believing, right? You need to see something before you can accept that it really exists or occurs. Right? Some guy comes up to you and says, yeah, man, I can bench press 300 pounds. You say, I ain't going to believe it until I see it. Or, yeah, I can run a five-minute mile. I ain't going to see it or believe it until I see it. Ladies, if you tell me that you bake the most beautiful, scrumptious chocolate cake in the whole wide world, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. So you can hook me up. That would be great. So often, if we don't see something, we're not going to believe something. We've got to see it in order to believe it. That can be a danger, I think, in our Christian life, in our discipleship, following hard after Jesus. If we don't see the fullness of his kingdom now, maybe we're going to be a bit shy to jump all in. We've got to see it in order to believe it. But as we know and as we see, the real, we're going to see, the reality is when it comes to the fullness of the kingdom of Christ, there's a whole lot we don't yet see. We have to live by faith and not by sight. The parable, we're in this series on some of the parables of Jesus, earthly stories with heavenly meaning. The real parable starts there in verse 26 that I wanted to preach this morning, but I had to back up to verse 21 to show this one as well. Mark 4 Verse 21, I think Jesus is going to say to us that the full revelation of Christ's kingdom is hidden only to be revealed at a future time. Verse 21, Jesus was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Of course, the answer to that is no. You don't bring out a lamp just to put it under a basket or under a bed, is it not brought to be put on a lampstand, right? You put it on a stand. Yes, that way it can give light as you intended it to. A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it, or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This, this isn't easily seen, and I needed the help of, of some good biblical commentaries to help me get at what I think Jesus is saying here. 
Just as a lamp isn't brought in to be hidden, but rather to give light, so too will the fullness, so too will the full revelation of Christ's kingdom be revealed in due time. God knows what lamps are for. God is no fool. He knows that you don't bring out a lamp only to cover it up, but put it on a lampstand so that it will give its light. But the reality is that in this age, indeed, the lamp that I think in context and in this story is Jesus, God brought his son Jesus onto the scene and put him under a basket, hid him under a bed. only to one day put him on the lampstand to give light. That the nature of the kingdom of Jesus is hidden and concealed at this time, only to be fully revealed in the age to come. Christ is the lamp that came but was, again, if you will, put under a basket or under a bed. His full glory and the glory of his kingdom was not fully displayed during his time on the earth, and it's not fully displayed even now, right? In those days, the glory of Jesus was not fully unveiled. Here was the long-awaited one. And yet he was a a baby born in a manger to an unmarried woman under what could be described as shameful maybe circumstances. He was nothing spectacular to look at. This Messiah, this king that we just sang about, He had no crown, he had no robe, he had no scepter, he had no signet ring, he had no entourage, he had no army. Jesus, the Son of God sent into the world, was despised and rejected. His family, his own family, thought that he was mad. The religious leaders thought that he was empowered by Satan. And ultimately, he was tried and ridiculed and beaten and mocked and crucified, killed. In those days, this lamp that was brought onto the scene was hidden. And even in ours, we sing and we glory in Christ the King. But the fact is, we see no visible crown. We see no visible robe and scepter and ring and throne and entourage and army and the like. We cannot define the land over which he reigns. We are like those readers that Peter wrote to in 1 Peter chapter 1. Even though you have not seen him, 
you believe in him. Even though you do not see him now, you love him. This kingdom of Christ is quite hidden now. You know, at least in the days of his flesh, back in the days when Jesus was on the scene, the disciples could at least see him. And we, in our day, don't even have that advantage. This was a kingdom, this was a movement that was born out of and grows even today by the news of a crucified king who came to serve and to give his life for others. Hidden, concealed, mysterious, undisclosed. But a day is coming when that glory, the glory of Christ and of his kingdom will be revealed. We believe that Jesus who came from heaven's glory and lived and died and rose and ascended and sat down at the Father's right hand, will come again. And in that day, the glory of Jesus will be seen. Nothing that is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. This hidden glory of Christ and his kingdom is going to be revealed. This secret nature of Christ and his kingdom is going to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Maybe we get a hint of the glory of Jesus in his transfiguration. From later in this gospel in Mark chapter 9, the Bible says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten. They were given a peak into the revealed glory of Jesus Christ. A peak that was to sustain them and we who read of it and believe it in the midst of the hardship of life and following Jesus. The promise that one day his glory is going to be revealed. And the glory of his kingdom inaugurated kingdom today that will be realized in its fullness one day. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, looking forward to that day when Christ comes. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. Revelation 21 tells us in that day there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. hidden now to be revealed later. It's secret now to one day come 
to light. You and I, I think, can be tempted not to jump in, to go all in, to live for Christ, to trust him and obey him and live with his vision for life and his priorities on life and his values on life because we can't see it. We live as if the material world is all that there is. And yet the realities of the Bible is that there are, is so much more to life and so much more going on. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just read from 2 Peter chapter 3. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Where is this kingdom you speak of? Where is this king you glory in? Everything's going just as it always had. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Peter seemingly is reminding them what, what, the, what they fail to, to realize is that God did intervene and bring judgment upon the world before in the flood. And he's going to do it again in the future. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter seemed to understand exactly what Jesus was teaching here, that the glory of Christ and of his kingdom is hidden now. It's secret now. But a day is coming when it will be revealed and it will come to light. Verse 24, Jesus was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given you besides. For whoever has to him, more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken 
away from him. Quickly, it probably has in mind here that Jesus is saying, be careful. What does he say? If anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Take care what you hear. And we know from the other parables of Jesus, this is so important, how you and I hear and respond to his message is everything. How are you and I responding, hearing and responding to the message of Christ? Friend, if you're here today and you have never put your trust and your hope and and looked to Jesus as as the king of your life, may I urge you that today do just that. Jesus came and lived a holy life that you couldn't live. And then he died upon a cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And then he rose from the dead, vindicating who he said that he was and what he came to do. And God raised him from the dead and seated him in heaven. And he reigns and rules over his kingdom even now. Can't see him. Do you believe in him? You can't see him. Do you love him? He has come, and he has accomplished a great work of salvation, the forgiveness of sins and new leadership of your life. If you will trust in him, cling to him, look to him. But you can't see him. One day, one day, he's going to return. And all that we cannot see will become visible. Do you believe it? Not only is this kingdom of Jesus hidden, But I think in verse 26 and following, he's going to tell us it's happening. The purposes of Christ's kingdom are happening, hastening to a final judgment. Verse 26, and Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Farmer takes his seed and he sows his seed. And then time passes. Maybe that's what Jesus is getting at when he said he goes to bed and he gets up, he goes to bed at night and gets up by day. Jesus isn't telling us everything, but the farmer probably does some other things that he can do. Maybe he weeds a little bit. Maybe he fertilizes a little bit. 
but he, but he plants his seed, and time passes. And then, as expected, it, it begins to come to fruition. The seed sprouts, and it grows. How he himself does not know. There are some things that he can control, but then there are some other things that he absolutely cannot control. But the sower goes out to sow. He does his thing, and the anticipation is that it's going to come to fruition, and indeed it does, and that then leads to harvest. Cranfield says maybe the point of this little deal is as seed time is followed in due time by harvest. As seed time is followed in due time by harvest, so will the present hiddenness and ambiguousness of the kingdom of God be succeeded by its glorious manifestation. It has some of the same ideas as the story above, that right now there's a hiddenness to the kingdom. There's some things you, you, you can't see and you can't understand, but it's happening. Jesus Christ came on the scene. He began to sow the seeds of the gospel, and after his work, and he ascended into heaven and empowers his people now, the disciples, and then for the last 2,000 years, the seed of the gospel has been being spread the world over. God's people, his faithful disciples are sharing the gospel, and his people come to faith. They're baptizing believers, and they're bringing them into the church and discipling them in the truth and loving them and caring for them and equipping them, and it's happening and been happening all over the world. And lives are being completely changed by Jesus Christ. Their sins are being forgiven, and hope is being brought into people's lives, and churches are being planted, and God's kingdom work is doing its thing the whole world over. The kingdom is present and it's growing. Something is going on in the world. God is at work quietly, invisibly. Again, the seed is being sown. Some are hearing, repenting, believing, and following Jesus. Their lives are being changed. Their families are being revolutionized. The world is enjoying one more bright light of Jesus' love. The kingdom is here, and it's growing by the mysterious, sovereign work of God. And it's heading towards the final judgment. Another said the point of this little story maybe is that the sovereign God is in charge of human history and he will bring it to its destined conclusion. The kingdom may seemingly be hidden to us, secret to us, undisclosed to us, but God is absolutely carrying out his purposes.
The seed has been sown. And things are happening that we don't even understand. How? He himself does not know. But just as one plants the seed, the expectation is harvest. So too are God's purposes. As William Cooper would say in his great hymn, God Moves in Mysterious Ways, his purposes are ripening fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. God is accomplishing his purposes. When the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That's looking to the future day. When God judges that his work And this age is done, and Jesus will come. It's a quotation or an allusion, a strong allusion to Joel chapter 3, verse 13, where the prophet says, or God says, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. In the context of Joel, it was the enemies of God who are about to come under his judgment. In verse 29 of our little story, it probably, he's alluding to that verse, but probably has the broader picture of the final, if you will, cataclysmic event of the second coming of Jesus when he will indeed judge his enemies, but he will vindicate his people and he will right every wrong and he will establish the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells forever and forever. A couple commentators, Wessel and Strauss, said about this little story, in the face of opposition, persecution, and trials, God's people can be assured that the harvest day is coming when God will deliver the righteous Judge the wicked and right every wrong. Say to you again, who may be skeptical about the gospel of Jesus Christ, this message of salvation in Jesus, The testimony of the Bible is that God is up to something great through his son, the Lord Jesus. He has been now for 2,000 years. He continues to be up to something great even now. You say, but I don't see it. I say, I get it. Jesus said, it will be, if you will, put under a bed hidden in all of its glory, in all of its fullness, in all of its revelation, in all of its light, it it will be veiled. Jesus didn't come as a conquering king. He came as a baby born in a manger. And he didn't grow up and assume the throne of Israel. 
with crown and robe and scepter and the like. He didn't. I get it. He came rejected by men, suffering, beaten, mocked, derided, and crucified. And then even when he raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven where we cannot see him. But through the power of his invisible spirit, he's been doing something massive the world over, winning a people to himself from every people, tribe, nation, and tongue. with a message of forgiveness of sin, reconciliation to him, new life, following him. Well, wait a minute. Am I following him who suffered and was rejected and killed? Yep. Does that mean if I follow him, I can expect somewhat of the same Yep. You mean following Christ in these days has a hiddenness to it itself? It's like it, we don't get all the goodies now? Yep. Jesus said, right after he told his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer, to be rejected, and die, he looked at them and said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will find it. Just as the glory of Christ in his kingdom awaits a future day, even we who follow him await a future day of glory. Will you trust him? Will you follow him? He is God's provision for you and for me. Now, for the rest of us, if you will, for those of us who do follow Jesus, I think this is a reminder for you and for me that we walk by faith and not by sight. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul was reflecting upon his own suffering in this tent of the body and longing for a day to be clothed with a, if you, a different tent, that glorified body, the body in which there will be no pain and no more disease and no more heartache and the like. He was looking forward to that day. But in that context, he said, we walk by faith and not by sight. He was looking forward to that day, but he was doing so by faith, believing that God's word was true because it was something that he could not see. He simply had to trust 
that what God had said, what Christ has said is true and I can bank my life on it. You remember John chapter 20? Jesus is risen from the dead and he is appearing to the disciples and one of them is who we call Doubting Thomas. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. So he's showing them. They get to see it. They get to see he's risen from the dead, and he said, it's me. I'm the one who died. Look at my hands and look at my side. He showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they've been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and and see my hands, and and reach here with your hand and, and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas got to see it. Thomas got to touch it. His hands and his side. But but maybe here's why John the Apostle recorded this story in his gospel that God's people be reading for 2,000 years now. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, Have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Jesus knew, John knew, there would be millennia of people who would not get the privilege that Thomas had to see the risen Jesus, to see his scars, and to even touch his flesh. They would have to hear the word, believe it, bank their life on it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We live by faith. Faith is is 
believing and trusting and living in light of truth you cannot see. Brothers and sisters, let us walk by faith. The kingdom is hidden, secret, veiled, but it's gonna come to full light. And in the meantime, God's purposes are unfolding just as He designed. Let's trust His Word, believe Him, and give our lives in light of it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace towards us. I think of uh, Lydia in Acts chapter 16 when, when Paul came and he proclaimed the great truths of Christ in his gospel. Lydia heard And then the Bible says, you opened her heart to believe the things spoken by Paul. And it's been true of every one of us who believe. You graciously opened our heart. And we pray that you would continue to help us to do that day in and day out until you take us home. Help us to hear your word, to trust it, to believe it, and to make the decisions of our life in light of it. And I pray for any that today they've never put their trust in Jesus. Maybe they heard the gospel, the good news, for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time, but maybe it all comes together today for them. I pray that they would turn to Jesus and take hold of him by faith. Trust him, believe in him, follow him, and in him find the forgiveness of their sins. Adoption into the family of God, the very gift of his presence, and power for new life. We will pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Let's